Scishow Tangents is brought to you by Shopify. Hank, when you started your career as <laughs> the internet science man, was opening an online store something that you were really thinking that hard about or something you thought you'd do in a billion years? I was uh, making a shop before I was the internet science man. Oh, what? That was the first thing I did. I was that first. Wow, I got to learn my Hank history. How did that go for you? <laughs> Good. I'll, here's what I'll tell you. Like the the the... The part where we start selling a thing and you get to see the number go up is so exciting. And uh, when it's just like you uh, by yourself, you got to be careful. But luckily, (laughs) Shopify has all kinds of little tools to help you with that, to help you with increasing conversions, to help you with managing orders, with customer support, with all of the stuff. Uh, Because it's a, you know. I don't know. It feels like the industry standard. And so there are all kinds of plugins that you can use to make your Shopify work for you in particular. That's right. Shopify is a global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from vlogging in your parents' basement to treading the boards of Carnegie Hall. Now, it was my basement. It was my (laughs) basement of my own home that I was renting. (laughs) Downstairs of. (laughs) If you say so. From your first sale to your one millionth, Shopify is here to help you grow. And they've got a proven track record, my friends. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. and powers entrepreneurs in 175 countries. They have, as Hank mentioned, the Internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And they have award-winning customer service because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. You can sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tangents, all lowercase tangents. Go to shopify.com slash tangents now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash T-A-N-G-E-N-T-S, all lowercase. And welcome to SciShow Tangents, the lightly competitive knowledge showcase starring some of the geniuses that make the YouTube series SciShow happen, including Stefan Chin. Whoa, hello. What's your tagline? My tagline is, I have one life philosophy. It's GTL, gaming, Tostino's pizza rolls, and laundry. <laughs> Did you write that? Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Stefan, a producer on SciShow, yeah. uh, makes science education happen on the internet. Edit a lot of videos, do a lot of graphics. Been doing it for a long time. I also just got a third monitor for my at-home computer setup. <laughs> I'm so excited because <laughs> now you can spread all the windows out. Wow. Productivity increase. We're also joined by Sam Schultz. What's your tagline? Flying away on a wing and a prayer. Who could it be? Believe it or not, it's just Sam. <laughs> <laughs> Sam is an artist and uh, editor and, and producer on SciShow as well. Mm-hmm. We're also joined by Sari Riley. Tagline, please. Sour Patch Squid. Ooh, Ooh. delicious. I just had a Swedish fish. Ooh. Why are there so many gummy sea animals? What's that all about? I don't know. You're mm-hmm. going to have to do a whole episode of Tangents about it sometime other than right now. <laughs> okay. Sarah, what do you do for a living? I do science words for the internet, mostly for SciShow. Mm-hmm. 
all for SciShow. I don't know why I said mostly. I uh, bet you do some other stuff every once in a while. Every once in a you while. You did the whole you crash course like by yourself. You did a whole you? crash course by yourself. I did that's a whole true. crash course, yeah, about film. Yeah. So that's not science. It's not really science. Uh, oh, excuse me. <laughs> <laughs> so it's not valid? That's right. No, no. it's not science words. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> I write words. That's that's my biggest day job. And I am Hank Green. My tagline today is styrofoam pajamas. Really squeaky and unpleasant to wear, but they keep mm. you nice oh, and warm. They would be very loud. Can you loud. move? Maybe. Maybe mm. it's just like you slide your leg into into two long cylinders of styrofoam. Then and just lay back for a snooze. I'm Hank. I uh, created SciShow and hired all these dorks um, <laughs> <laughs> and then decided to do a podcast with them. Would you like me to explain the podcast? No, okay. Boo. Oh, boo. <laughs> Every week, on, I don't care what Sam thinks. Every week on SciShow Tangents, we get together and try to one-up, amaze, and delight each other with science facts. We're playing for glory, but we're also keeping score and awarding Hank Bucks to all of our friends for when they do a good thing, like when they do a good poem or answer a question correctly or et cetera. We do everything we can to stay on topic, but judging by previous conversations, we will not be good at that. Also judging by the name of the podcast. So if someone on the podcast goes on a tangent, they have to give up one of their Hank bucks. And then if you end up having none, you could just go negative. It's fine. Now, as <laughs> always, we introduce this week's topic with the traditional science poem from Sari. We tell tales of Icarus and his waxy wings, of Lindbergh, of the Wright brothers, of mechanical things. But before humans learned how to master the breeze, there were gigantic devil rays leaping out from the seas, or squirrels and lemurs that glide from the trees. So your fight or flight might kick in if you see a flying snake. But don't worry, they can't hurt us. It's just a long, scaly pancake. Uh, wait, is there a flying is that a, snake? Is that a real thing? Yeah. Huh? Oh, <laughs> oh, that's a long pancake. They jump from the trees and they like flatten their ribs. Oh my So they God. become like Why didn't I sideways? know that? And yeah. then they wiggle in the air. What? Like wiggle in the air like they're like they're swimming, like they're like they're they do the snake motion. Mm -hmm. Do they get pretty far? I think like far for a falling snake. <laughs> <laughs> so the topic of today's podcast is flight, which is a very broad topic. So there's animals that fly and people fly in all sorts of different ways. Mm -hmm. And uh and all those things are science. Yeah. Walking down the street, science, right? That's right. You got to have friction. Mm -hmm. Your muscles. Yep. I also read about Actin seeds. Myosin. You read about seeds because seeds can seeds fly. Get, yeah. Some plants shoot their seeds out explosively to disperse them. <gasps> and mm -hmm. they have, there's some physics stuff involved in their flight as well. Oh, and the little puff balls, the, what are those? Dandelions? Yeah. They fly too, right? They Well, yeah. I mean, flying? if it's, the wind's blowing enough, there's mm -hmm. like, more like glide maybe. I don't know what you would call that. I feel like it's gliding not, counts as flying it's maybe. It's not powered flight, but it's flight. Do you have an official definition of flying for us? No, I don't. Oh, okay. <laughs> you know what it is. Because some things that we consider flying, like flying fish, it's just a jump. I read all about them last night. They can go really far. They can go like 700 feet. What? Oh, that's okay. not that's, jumping? That's not jumping. That's a <laughs> Yeah, they launch themselves <laughs> and they have like really big, sturdy wings and they go really far. Oh, okay. Oh, Never yeah. mind. Yeah. So I take it back. I'm well, sorry. At what point? So I guess if you're flying, you're using the air for a lift. Yeah. So you're not, if you're in outer space, you're not flying. Mm. That's different. So what are you doing if you're in outer space and you have thrusters? 
thrusting you. are just shoving yourself around. Well, there's molecules there, but they're not giving you lift. No, they're not giving you lift. Yeah. Hmm. But what if I jumped and I pushed a little bit on the air? And yeah, I'm not saying fun. I got much lift, but I did get some because yeah. that's how physics works. Yeah. Did I fly? I feel like if you yell, I'm flying as you do that, <laughs> then yes. <laughs> because you're declaring that what you're doing is pushing down on the air. Right. I have, oh. to, I have to be clear that that's what's happening. That's your intent. Glad we got it settled. It is, you know, it's... Uh, it's always fuzzy once you start looking too close mm-hmm. at something. It's all about your frame of mind. Yeah. yeah. If you think you're flying, then you're flying. So now it's time for I, this week, have prepared three science facts for all of our education and enjoyment, including all of you at home. But only one of those facts is going to be real. The other three panelists have to figure out which ones are the fake one and which is the real ones by deduction or knowledge or wild guesses. Uh, If you do, you get a Hank Buck. If you get it wrong, then I get a Hank Buck. And that is how truth or fail works. I'm a little ashamed of my my facts. Ooh, I'm excited now. (laughs) Why are you ashamed? Are they bad facts? They're not that science-y. They're all good facts. Uh They're very good facts. I feel like if they're good facts, then you have nothing to be ashamed about. It's just like, at a certain point, it's like, yeah, everything is science. (laughs) You got friction, you got muscles. What a cop out. This you just said that. (laughs) (laughs) Let's hear your bad facts. Okay, fact number one. During the aftermath of September 11th, every commercial flight in America was grounded, which was a problem when the owner of one of the most deadly snakes in the world got bitten just 20 minutes after the attacks, he couldn't be airlifted to the hospital because the air traffic was grounded. But the government did allow the plane carrying his the anti-venom to save his life to take off and fly across the country. And it was the only commercial flight that flew during that period of time. Uh. Fact number two, oxygen tanks and airplanes that they used to fill up the little baggies that you breathe into if there's a loss of cabin pressure are, of course, themselves a little dangerous because once a leaking oxygen canister actually increased the oxygen content of a flight enough that some of the passengers started to feel a little loopy because they were suffering from what's called hyperoxia. They got too much oxygen. The crew didn't know what was happening. They knew something was happening, but they ordered an emergency landing before anything went wrong with the pilots or with the passengers. Fact number three, in 1909, the first guy to ever fly a plane over the English Channel not only succeeded in doing so, this is good, but then decided (laughs) that since it was going so well, he would just keep going. He ended up landing in a field in Poland where he was shot in the shoulder by a (laughs) farmer who thought he was invading Poland. (laughs) I hope that's true. That one sounds so real because that's like what a human would do. Like, ah, flying man. (laughs) Yeah. Everything's science, but none of those were science. (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) There was anti-venom. Yeah. There were oxygen tanks. Uh And there was uh, the first guy to fly across the English Channel. which All science words. So, yeah, the three things were the only flight to fly during September 11th carried anti-venom or an oxygen tank got loose and people got hyperoxia and they had to land the plane or the first got to fly over the English Channel, kept going on it in Poland and got shot in the shoulder. <laughs> he lived. So. I think the first one is just inspired by snakes on a plane and is therefore fake. Oh, I was thinking it sounded familiar. And maybe it's snakes on a plane, though. It seems excessive to fly anti-venom to one person. Just let him die? Just let him die. <laughs> but I mean, there's like other treatment methods 
And like some antivenoms are generalized, so you can treat multiple snake bites oh. with one type of antivenom. Sure. I don't know. I'm unconvinced. I don't know what <laughs> what deadly snake he had with him. But I'm <laughs> the only thing I have to rely on is science. <laughs> <laughs> that's true of all that's true of all humanity, Sari. You just explain us. The human condition. <laughs> yeah. And I'm distressed by it. But the oxygen thing sounds real to me. I don't know. But that could be misleading because it's downside. It sounds, it sounds too easy. Too real, right? It sounds too. The real. other one's like just in the middle, where it's like <laughs> this is a little bit unbelievable. So it's probably the true one. And if you got that excited about something that you made up at the, for the third one, you're a really good actor. <laughs> <laughs> I want it to be real, so I'm going to go with the third one. Okay, with the guy, go with the guy who shot. flew over the English Channel and got shot. Yeah, yeah. me too. Oh, no. It's time to Sarah. You should go with a different one because he's going to have $3 soon. Yeah. Okay. I'll go with the oxygen one. It's boring, but it seems correct. And who's got $3? This what? guy. No. What? There were snakes on a plane? <laughs> no. It was not snakes on a plane. <laughs> Snake juice on a plane. No, yeah, anti-snake anti juice. Snake. I don't know how they make antivenin. But yep, it flew from California to Florida. You can't use a generalized antivenin for it because it's a weird snake. It's called the Taipan snake. It's one of the most deadly snakes um, out there, apparently. And this guy was a snake handler, had been handling snakes for 40 years. And he's probably going to die. So they were like, yeah, okay, we'll let one plane go. Did he live through the thing? Yeah, he did live. Okay. Dang. Yeah. I I mean, like watching you all go through that was one of the best (laughs) experiences. The last story is so delightful. So that one was actually based on two different true stories. One, the first guy to try to fly over the English Channel in 1909 did not succeed. But he did succeed in being the first person to land a plane on water. (laughs) <laughs> oh, no. Oh. <laughs> Best case scenario. I don't know if you call it landing, yeah. uh, but he did live. Well, did he um, say, I'm landing when it happened? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But then, unrelatedly, the drummer from Leonard Skinnerd, his plane crashed oh. in a cornfield. Several people died. Yeah. And he, the like. The whole band almost, right? Yeah. Yeah. Oh. So, yeah. And, and he's, like, drags himself out of the cornfield and gets shot by a farmer. Did he die, too? No, he lived. He got shot in the shoulder. Jesus. So, like, the he, there was a guy who got shot by a farmer. Well, why did Jeez. that farmer shoot him? He wasn't in Poland, was he? <laughs> <laughs> Only Polish uh, I farmers. Think that he was, yeah. I think that they were. he was afraid of them being a raggedy bunch of corn thieves. And then, lastly, there are no oxygen tanks on planes. Huh. I thought what? that was the, the, the case. What? Instead of having oxygen tanks, because they would be dangerous, because mm-hmm. you don't want a bunch of oxygen anywhere, because yeah. it, like stuff starts lighting on fire and it might explode. So you don't want like compressed gases. They use what's called a chemical oxygen generator system that is connected to all the masks in the department and in, in the huh. compartment. And when you pull down on the oxygen mask, it removes the firing pin of the generator. So that's when they why they tell Whoa. you to pull down on it because it won't do anything if you don't pull down oh, on it. Weird. And then it uses one of a bunch of different oxygen sources, so chemicals that have a lot of oxygen in them, mm. and then reacts and that creates enough oxygen that flows into the bag for like 15 minutes of oxygen supply and that's enough for the plane to get down low enough where the oxygen levels are good. Hmm. You can just breathe the normal air. Usually the oxygen source is an inorganic superoxide. So that sounds cool. Yeah, it does sound pretty cool. Saves your life. 
Yeah. It's a super oxide. <laughs> <laughs> so you said you didn't know how they make anti-venin? I don't really know how they make anti-venin. But it, I want to know. And also I don't know why it's called anti-venin and not anti-venom. I think that's an even better question. Oh, it's not anti-venom? I don't know. I've, I've seen it both. both. Merriam-Webster slash medicine.net say <laughs> venin is... <laughs> a specific word for snake venom. Oh, okay. So it's like uh, specifically anti-snake mm, bite. Snake oh, bite. cool. As okay. opposed to anti-any sort of venom because gotcha. that's a lot. Jellyfish have venom and mm. things like that. So how did they make anti-venom? It's kind of old. It, or it seems old-fashioned to me. I don't know as far as science goes. They extract venom from snakes. So those are the pictures that you see with snakes like Biting. fangs into a rubber mm-hmm membrane on the collection container. Ooh, ooh, can I guess? Does it involve a horse? Somehow? It does. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's the most old-fashioned thing you can do. Yeah. Anything with a Put horse. Put it in a horse. <laughs> yeah. That's what they do. They just like take the venom, distill it down to make it n- less deadly if possible, then stick it into a horse. <laughs> oh, no. Or another big animal that can take a very small amount, uh-huh. withdraw its blood, and then when anything bad goes into your body or a horse's body or anything, that's what our immune systems are for. Mm-hmm. So they create antibodies that are specific to the venom molecules mm. that will bind to it and recognize it. And they distill down all those antibodies and that's just what they put in humans. Like the goal of antivenin is to just bind to the mm-hmm. venom particles and wrap them up so they become useless and your body's like, ah, I'll just send macrophages after it and they'll eat them up or filter it out of your blood or whatever. Cool. Ah, that's really cool. That is really cool. Thanks, horses. Thanks, horses. Yeah. <laughs> and scientists. Also, sorry, horses. <laughs> <laughs> so that was the true fact, you guys. I'm <laughs> so happy with how that went. You're quite I'm wealthy I'm a winner. Now. You're so yeah, rich. you are. Congratulations. Must be nice. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of getting wealthier, it's time to go to our ad break, everybody. Slasher Tangents is brought to you by Rocket Money, a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. I said it before, and I'll say it again. It's a subscription-based world out there. Video games, art-making programs, food delivery services, these things, they all have dang subscription services to subscribe to. And I don't want to cast aspersions? Dispersions? Aspersions. One of those. But... It does seem like part of the subscription uh, business model is to get you to subscribe to something and then hope that you lose track of everything you subscribe to and just keep forking out 10 bucks a month until the sun Mm -hmm. burns out. And you know what? That's actually a pretty good idea on their part, but it's not such a good idea for your wallet. Your money is like a bean. (laughs) (laughs) You want to plant it in fertile soil. You don't want people carving off pieces of your bean all the time. That bean's not going to grow. If there's there's a constant drain on the the bean, that (laughs) is where Rocket Money comes in. With Rocket Money, you can see all your subscriptions in one place, decide what you do and don't want, and cancel things with just a tap. Rocket Money will even try to get you a refund for the last couple of months of wasted money. And beyond, I mean beans, and beyond subscription canceling, (laughs) Rocket Money helps you build budgets, track your spending, and more. There's all kinds of ways to take care of those beans so they grow into a nice big bean plant. It has over 5 million users and it helps save members an average of $720 a year with over 500 million in canceled subscriptions. What would you do with 720 beans? I'd buy more beans. (laughs) (laughs) 
different kind of bean, I guess. A, a cheaper, more grow. of a cheaper type you of bean. You buy cheaper beans with your expensive beans. <laughs> yeah, until I had an infinite amount of the cheapest bean you could possibly have. <laughs> Subscription <laughs> companies hate this one simple trick because you figured out their plot. And now you can use that money for beans instead. Stop wasting <laughs> money on things you don't use and start using money on things like beans, cancel your <laughs> unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash tangents. That's rocketmoney.com slash tangents. Rocketmoney.com slash T-A-N-G-E-N-T-S. All right, everybody, we're back from the break. I'm here with Stefan Chen. Hey. And Sam Schultz. Hello. And Sari Riley. Hello. And we're through the first half of SciShow Tangents, and I have three Hank Bucks. And Sari has money. one Hank Buck. And How did everybody I get one? else oh, has zero Hank Bucks. I forgot bucks. about the bonus poem money. Yeah, you get a free one for being the poem person. <laughs> None of us can win. I could no. go on a bunch of tangents. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> How okay. many feelings do you have about flight? <laughs> I've got a lot. And I read a lot of stuff trying to come with those three, <laughs> those two fake facts and one real fact. So I got a lot stored in my back pocket. But before we get to that and me going destitute as quickly as I got wealthy, we are going to have to get ready for the fact off where two panelists have brought science facts to present to the others in an attempt to blow our minds. The presentees each have a Hank Buck to award to the fact that they like the most. But if both facts are a giant snooze, we can choose to not award our Hank book and instead just throw it in the trash. We're going to go by the person who most recently ate something that flew. Oh, uh, I went vegetarian last night, so yeah, probably. What about you? I don't know what I ate last night, but I very recently tried the sweet and spicy uh, chicken breast tenders from McDonald's. Mm. They were fantastic. That sounds really good. Yeah. <laughs> I should check them out, too. You I should mean, go first, though. Okay. <laughs> you should go first. And the rest of us are going to McDonald's yeah. after this. So some scientists outfitted a bunch of common swift birds with a tiny little black box uh, that basically just had an accelerometer and a light sensor. And they gathered two years' worth of data following their like, flight patterns and stuff and found that during their non-breeding period, which is, uh, their breeding period is two months of the year. So for 10 months of the year, most of the individuals landed occasionally, but some individuals were airborne the entire time. <gasps> and even the ones that landed were still airborne the vast majority of the time, uh, likely over 99%. I have a tangent to go on. <laughs> oh, <laughs> perfect. One time, I, I had upstairs bedroom and I had a TV in it and I got showtime on it. Are you just Ooh. a, a just what? a little boy at this point? I am a teenage boy. Okay, ah, and non-breeding season. <laughs> 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 yes, and one day my mom came up the stairs to be like, "What you what you watching?" And I used to at night leave the video recorder to record whatever happened on Showtime at night. <laughs> whatever happened. <laughs> what could it possibly be? And, uh, and I was watching a tape of a movie that was very bad uh -huh. uh, but definitely had some boobs in it. But like the moment that she wa walked in was this like a couple and and it would they were telling the story of the birds that never landed. Like Ooh. the man was telling the, telling the woman, like this apparently was supposed to be like a seductive story of some way. Like they live their entire lives without ever landing their their weary bodies. And, <laughs> and, and like my mom was like, what are you watching? And I was like, 
they're just talking about science stuff. <laughs> and she later, I heard her say to my dad, he can just watch anything up there. <laughs> so that was the story of how I got caught recording Showtime uh, night times. Oh, man. Uh, I'm glad I could conjure that up for you. Yeah. yeah. But then later I was like, that stuck in my mind, of course, because it was a terribly embarrassing moment when I had to try to explain to my mom what I was doing watching a late night Showtime movie. And then later I was like, there's no fucking way that they could not ever land. Of course they land. They have to like have babies. They're not going to like plop an egg yeah. out into the ocean. So... so Non-breeding season. They didn't say that in the Showtime show. Exactly. All right. So So, that was at least one Hank fuck, uh, because there's no way you're going to let me get away with that one. (laughs) (laughs) So do these birds have sex in the air too? No. Some birds do. Some birds do, yeah. Oh, mid-flight refueling. <laughs> oh, yeah, like hawks or eagles or something, don't yeah. they? Yeah, and they do the thing where they plummet to the ground in a lover's embrace. I actually don't know where their um, their breeding area is because the, the map that I was looking at was showing where they where they winter, and that's in, like, middle of Africa. Okay. Um, so they might, somewhere in Europe, I think, and they, so they migrate between those two. So from the paper, they said, during migration and the winter, there was almost an almost total lack of inactivity recordings except for a few nights in February 2014 when Bird 1 settled in a vertical position for four whole nights. Oh, I got really tired. Yeah, I was so He had a cold, probably. <laughs> his big I get really day. sleepy when I have a cold. <laughs> how, Maybe he drank too much. How long? How long in a row do they fly? Yeah. Some of them stayed in air for the entire 10-month period. What the heck? Most of them did land, but still they only landed for like less than an hour like very short periods of time. I guess they just don't need to take naps or they can take naps while flying. That's one of the things that they need to figure out uh, is how they sleep. So the birds ascend to like two to three kilometers in altitude at dusk Mm. and uh, sunrise Mm -hmm. every day. And they think they might use that for navigation, but also maybe do like a long glide right. down from that where take they're a, sleeping. Take a little drowse. Yeah, they're not That sure. sounds like fun. There's this other thing that I thought was cool, which is that, because they're tiny little sensors that it's just an accelerometer and a light sensor. Mm-hmm. And the light sensor is how they know where the birds were. So because oh, they know yeah. they fly up, they can track like when sunrise and sunset is. Mm. And like based on when that's happening, they can figure out what where their location was. Neat. But that was kind of cool. Yeah. I like that fact a lot, Stefan. Sam. I might be able to, uh, to uh, shed some light on a lot of these questions you had about what? sleeping birds. Oh, Ooh. good. Because well. mine is very similar. Yeah. So as we just learned, there are a lot of birds that fly around for weeks and months at a time, like during migration or when they're hunting, but scientists don't know this one thing, how they sleep, and even if they sleep while they do it. So in 2016, a study of frigate birds revealed the answer. Frigate birds are a type of seabird and they have the largest body to wingspan ratio of any bird and they use those wings to go on really long hunting expeditions where they can be in the air for like two months at a time. So they mostly eat flying fish because if they land in the water they can't get out of the water and they just die I think is basically what it is. <laughs> um, but they're really big and they're big enough to put brainwave machines onto. Mm. So scientists did that and they discovered that like dolphins, they sleep with one side of their brain at a time just for a couple minutes circling on updrafts and they use the other side of their brain with their eye open to make sure that they don't crash into each other. But sometimes they would slip into total sleep with both sides of their brain and just fly around in the air with <laughs> with totally asleep. Um, and this was the first evidence ever that birds could fly while sleeping. The end, period. <laughs> wow. Except I have a little so like, addendum 
them. <laughs> ah. Well, you could probably work it into one of our questions. It's kind of it kind of answers some of his questions okay. a little bit. Ooh. They slept for forty two minutes a day while they were flying around, mm. but when they would land after their hunting trip, they would sleep for twelve hours a day. So oh, they were like, like cooping. Yeah, yeah, they were like scientists were the the article I read was talking about how they were like purposefully sleep depriving themselves, which yeah. I guess was a big deal, but I don't really understand oh. why that was a big deal that they found out. I mean, I've been there. I've done that. <laughs> yeah. Like if we do like, it. Yeah. yeah, be like, oh, for I just get the forty five minutes now, I'll get the twelve hours later. It'd be so nice to sleep with one side of your brain. It'd be so yeah. nice to sleep for more so than six hours what? at a time. Well don't have a baby then. <laughs> <laughs> big mistake. I sleep for eight hours every night. That sounds great. <laughs> we'll, we'll have every minute of it. I'll hey. call you next Someone would sleep. <laughs> <laughs> Do their eyes close when their brain? I don't know. It talked a lot about ducks sleeping literally with one of their eyes open so I oh. think it's just a thing birds do they're just winking all the time where they're just like oh, one of their sides is just asleep and the other side isn't asleep <gasps> and it talked about in mammals when you go into deep sleep your body goes limp but for some reason birds don't and just their heads go limp but the rest of their body stays like oh, rigid love so the they idea can of the keep... frigate bird just gliding with its head like yeah. a rule tongue long out of its mouth it said when they would fall asleep with both sides of their brain their heads would droop down so they would be Aww. flying through the air with their heads drooped down what I love it that is also a great fact Sam those are both good sleepy facts yeah good yeah. sleepy bird facts <laughs> guys I don't know. I think I'm, I'm gonna go with. I'm gonna go with Sam. Yes, go with Sam. I haven't so gotten a Hank Buck in such a long time. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's always, always easiest yeah, to go first. That's the thing is you started talking and I was like maybe I can slip in here. I can't. I was also. Uh, do it. I'm also going to go with Sam. Hey. I'm sorry. Suck oh, it. Wow. We're tied. See? <laughs> oh, His stupid man. birds only fly for two months. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. I did think <laughs> from yeah. reading it, it seemed like that was an outrageously long time for a bird to fly. I didn't like, I didn't look into how long birds could fly, but. I think measuring brain waves of birds mm. was like slightly more interesting for me. I don't know how they did it, but I'm imagining like little tinfoil hats on the birds. <laughs> that might have been. Like, yeah. yeah, that I also love that you could only do it with frigate birds because they're the big ones. Because they're yeah. big, yeah. No way you can do it. You can't like fit a brainwave monitor on a Swift. I thought it was crazy that it took until 2016 for them to figure that out. Because the paper basically said they knew how it worked. They just couldn't figure out mm. how to prove it. Yeah, that makes sense to me. I yeah. feel like there are a lot of things that scientists guess about. Mm -hmm. And yeah. then when you actually measure something, it's either like, ah, that's exactly like I thought it was. Or this is nothing like I thought it was. And yeah. there's never, yeah, I don't know. This I guess those was... are the only two options in the world <laughs> when you <laughs> ask a question. It's either yes or no. Yeah. 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 All right. Now it is time for Ask the Science Couch, where we ask listener questions to our couch of finely honed scientific minds. What do we got, Sam? One cup of JoJo asks, mm. why aren't blimps and zeppelins used more often? So if you're unfamiliar with Ask the Science Couch, I do my best to answer with no research. And then Sarah answers because she actually knows the answer. Um, I'm going to guess because planes are better. Yeah, I'm going to guess. That was my guess. Zeppelins are too slow. And the Hindenburg may get everybody Zeppelin yeah. shy. Maybe a little bit Zeppelin shy. Nobody's using hydrogen anymore. No, but still. Which is a better lift and there's more of it. There's not that much helium in the world. Yeah. Probably shouldn't be using it so much. Yeah. That's like basically it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Do I get a hand? Yeah. It's just like PR is right. bad 
for blimps and zeppelins. Is it, is yeah. it a lot of PR problems? And also utility. We we were really into airships, mm. like for yeah. a while. There's a lot of like drawings of blimps from like magazines and stuff, probably in like the 50s or 40s. Yeah. And like like it was the vision of the future, like a cruise ship in the air that would take you across the Atlantic Ocean. That's what I want. Yeah. That would be awesome. That's the Hindenburg. The Hindenburg didn't take anybody across any oceans. It did. I'm pretty sure it was docking. Was it, like it has, started in... It was arriving? Yeah, it was arriving in New Jersey. That happened in New Jersey? Yeah. I did not know that. <laughs> I thought it was in It came Germany. from Germany. I think the, the wave of blimp enthusiasts was in the 20s and 30s, especially. Mm. They were developed as military technology, especially mm-hmm. by the German group like that's where the word Zeppelin comes from was just a company started mm. by a dude whose last name was Zeppelin oh it's a Xerox situation yeah okay. yeah 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 and they built like these metal frames and balloons around them and filled them with gas huh. the European ones had hydrogen in them American ones had helium in them uh-huh. uh, because America apparently had a wealth of helium around World War One. is that true yeah I we think had so. a lot of helium I think we had a lot of helium okay yeah, where so- does helium come from the ground. What? Um, we, really? We, uh, when when you get natural gas, you also get some helium. Whoa. And you separate it out, and then that's where helium comes from. That's how the Earth stays in space. So we were really enthusiastic about it, but they were just, like, there were too many disasters. Like, Hindenburg <laughs> was there one. There were more than that one? A lot of U.S. Oh, airships oh no. were ended up not so great. Oh. Mostly they were caught in storms. I like. It does researched. seem like it would be pretty easy to get caught in a storm oh. if you're just a balloon. Yeah, and so like the Hindenburg <laughs> wasn't even the biggest disaster. The deadliest disaster oh. was the USS oh. Akron, where 73 people died Gee. as opposed to 36 people in the Hindenburg. Oh. Uh, it was just calibrating radio equipment uh, off the New England coast, and then it got caught in a storm. And then they sent a rescue uh, uh, a rescue airship to go they rescue them. A blimp? And then another one popped. No. <laughs> okay, oh, so planes are just better. Never so, send a blimp to rescue a blimp. You know, we were doing our best. We were, there was a blimp fever. Um, <laughs> airship fever. Blimps don't have the structure inside. Blimps are just oh, big balloons, uh, like huh. steerable balloons, huh. essentially. And then airships have a, have a metal usually structure. More suited for longer trips, is that? Yeah, it sturdier. Yeah. It also allows for them to be a more aerodynamic shape, but actually uh-huh. the shape of the blimp can provide lift right. in addition to the gas. So are there any Zeppelins in the whole world? There are a couple, yeah. People use them uh, for a couple things. Like you said earlier, air travel was the biggest thing where people, as soon as we could fly, People wanted to go places faster and have more passengers, and planes were really good at that. Yeah. If you need to advertise at a football game, <laughs> there's only one way to do that. Planes <laughs> way too fast. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but Lockheed Martin is making airships oh, right boy. now. For what, what reason? And I am on team cargo ship right now. Like, I, before this podcast, I had no feelings about airships whatsoever. They looked <laughs> kind of cool, uh-huh. but now I am fully behind the idea of building them because, okay, the, maybe the advertisement videos just worked on me. But basically the only reason we haven't built them is there isn't a good market. But Lockheed Martin is developing some sort, they're called, I think, hybrid airships that are specifically for transporting cargo. So they're like super, super sturdy. They use a fraction of the fuel per 
like amount of cargo that they can mm-hmm. carry compared to helicopters and other planes. Mm-hmm. They can tr- transport like 19 people, but like tons and tons and tons of cargo. Mm-hmm. And they can land on sand. They can land on water. They can land on yeah. any sort of surface yeah. without having or without needing the infrastructure, which makes it really good for transporting supplies. Yeah. To- they don't need like train tracks or anything either. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Hank, yeah. will you buy us a Zeppelin, please? Hank, will you buy us a Zeppelin? We could relocate our offices to the Zeppelin. <laughs> Into the space. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, so, we'll look into it. That's so much more about Zeppelins than I thought there there ever even was. Me too. Oh, yeah. yeah man. We got to bring them back. I, we did an episode on uh, SciShow Space, uh, the YouTube channel focusing <laughs> primarily on space content. Mm, like and subscribe <laughs> um, today. You can subscribe at <laughs> youtube.com slash SciShow Space. Uh, well, we did an episode on, the, on that channel about sending airships to Venus, maybe, mm-hmm. as a potential way of exploring Venus because... Because the atmosphere is so thick. Yeah. And once you get close to the surface, it is very hot. It's yeah, way yeah. too hot to survive. So, so if you stay hanging there. in the atmosphere is more of a chill chill mm-hmm. vibe. Cool. Thank you to One Cup of JoJo for the question. If you want to ask the science couch, you can tweet your question using the hashtag AskSciShow. Thank you to Chelsea Moon and Cynthia Darling and everybody else who has tweeted us your questions. And our final scores, Sari, you have one Hank Buck. Sam, you have two. Mm-hmm. Stefan, you have one. And I have two. I would have beat you, Sam. I would have had three Hank Bucks, but I did go on that tangent about getting caught watching softcore porn on Showtime. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was a beautiful story. <laughs> and I appreciate it, but... <laughs> now... If you like this show and you want to help us out, it's very easy to do that. You can leave us a review wherever you listen. That's helpful. It also helps us know what you think about the show. You can also tweet out your favorite moment of the episode. And finally, if you want to show your love for tangents, you can just tell people about us. Thank you for joining us. I have been Hank Green. I've been Sari Riley. I've been Stefan Chin. And I've been Sam Schultz. And this has been SciShow Tangents. It's a co-production with WNYC Studios. It's produced by all of us and Caitlin Hoffmeister. Our art and music are by Hiroko Matsushima and Joseph Tunamedish. Our social media organizer is Victoria Bongiorno. And we couldn't make any of this stuff without our patrons on Patreon. Thank you. And remember, the mind is not a vessel to be filled, but a fire to be lighted. But one more thing. The British supermarine Stranrayer is an anti-submarine plane flown in World War II. It was fitted with a toilet that was just a hole that went out into the open air. And when you would lift the lid on the toilet, the whole plane would whistle. So it was nicknamed the Whistling Shit House. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. <laughs>